Hello and welcome to Series 3 of our Back to Fundamentals podcast. After a tumultuous 2020, we hope 2021 is brighter for everyone, although so far it does really feel like a false start. As ever, we'll continue bringing you our latest views across oil, products, LPG, natural gas emissions, and long-term energy markets. In Episode 1, I am joined today by Yasser El-Gindi and Daniel Sternhoff from our macro energy team to discuss what the macro backdrop looks like for energy markets, whether the recent jump in prices that we've seen in oil and LNG are justified, and what awaits us in terms of the vaccine distribution. Welcome both. We have started the year very much uh, where we ended 2020. Uh, Not much has changed. And yet there is one big difference. There is a vaccine in sight and that is being priced in across all asset classes, uh, not just in oil. Oil, of course, has been the outperformer. This is something we've been talking about since really October of last year. Um, And but if you just look at look around us, you know, even though there are various forms of lockdown around the world, the optimism is really uh, palpable right now. So Yasser, welcome. And, you know, what do we think of this year? I mean, is this justified? Um, And do we see a lot of upside from here for oil? Yeah, you know, we, this is a theme we've, we've been focused on, you know, with very clear that markets really want to just get rid of 2020 move on to 2021 and start having some visibility on something resembling normalcy. But, you know, what's clear to us is that uh, instead of getting Q1 of of 2021, it's looking like it's going to be Q5 of of 2020. Um, But, uh, you know, while things seemingly haven't changed um, on the reality is everything seems to be changing between, um, you know, the the Democrats and in the Georgia runoffs, um, able to secure uh, a foothold in 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 the Senate, um, you know we we flagged back in September that the the, the chances of, of a blue wave were maybe uh, higher than what the market was was appreciating at the time, um, and and though it took a little bit of time, the reality is is that the president did win by uh, or not the president but uh, Joe Biden won won the election by uh, a comfortable margin. Um, the, the, the Dems, uh, are poised to, to take the Senate and they've held on to the House. Um, and so with, with that, we, we see reflation trades accelerating now that the U.S. election is, is finally over. Um, metals prices are ripping higher. Uh, small caps, banks and oil equities are all outperforming. It's been a very long time, Amrita, since we've been able to say that oil equities are the outperformers of the market. Um, but notably tech stocks, are lagging. So, um, you know, with 10-year treasury yields now popping decisively over 1%, um, the yield curve is, has steepened to its widest level in, in four years, um, and, and inflation break-evens have jumped, the market is clearly looking beyond the near-term weakness that is expected still as a consequence of, uh, of, of COVID and starting to price in uh, both loose fiscal and monetary policy, um, which has had an impact on the dollar, which has also been uh, supportive for, for, for the commodity. So um, we're, we're definitely starting to look beyond um, whatever may come in, in, in the first quarter of, of this new year. But Daniel, um, 
Is this euphoria justified with regards to the vaccine? There's so many obstacles still with regards to distribution. Uh, we'd all love to get out about, but yet we've just revised down our demand numbers uh, for Europe, uh, not the US, because I think US just doesn't have the appetite for renewed uh, mobility restrictions. Um, and this new variant is causing concerns even in Asia. And I think that for us, for the oil market, is a big concern. Uh, kind of smaller lockdowns in China, uh, even Japan and Korea. The Cold weather is really helping uh, to keep oil demand and just generally demand for the energy products higher. Had it not been for that, I think that that could have been even worse. Um, but but is it justified or is it something we should, like, you know, the upside should really come through in the second half of the year? I, I think it really depends on the time frame we're looking at. For the second half, yes. Uh, if you look at what is happening with vaccine deployment, at least in the developed world, uh, even though there are, of course, really significant issues with the rollout in the U.S., in the U.K., that was inevitable on something of this scale. And the the truth is, is for the U.S. and U.K., uh, really by the end of February and into March, there will be substantial progress in covering uh, uh, a significant proportion of the most vulnerable populations, which should be enough to bring hospitalization rates down, which is really the issue affecting mobility here, of course, is hospitalization and death rates. Uh, Europe is a little bit lagged because of the specifics of the vaccine candidate that they have chosen. That's a little behind, but we will be seeing further uh, vaccines uh, approved and deployed, and in particular, as we're kind of mid-Q2 and then the second half of the year, I think we will see it accelerating uh, notably. So from that perspective, it is, uh, it, it is correct to be discounting that for, for the second half of the year. And I think you mentioned a very important point that you actually don't need to vaccinate the entire population, right? It is about vaccinating the most vulnerable, which then reduces the pressure on the healthcare, and then automatically that changes mobility. But one of the things we have seen, and I think this is underappreciated, is that yes, mobility, personal mobility is down. But if you look at trucking, that is going through the roof. And one of the reasons why diesel is outperforming now, cold weather is a little bit uh, re related, of course, but you know, there is this latent sense of kind of activity or pent up really. It's there. There are lots of strains on a lot of supply chains. We are seeing that. And I don't want us to sound too bullish for the sake of it, but I almost wonder where, yes, Q1 21 will be difficult. And we've always said that. We've always said this is going to be a continuation of 2020. But potentially the upside in the second half could be higher than what people are thinking, because this isn't just about personal mobility, but there are other factors in the supply chain that potentially people are missing. Is, is that fair? I think that's exactly right. And it's important to note one of the key features that we're seeing in the pandemic economy. And that has been even where people are staying at home uh, and uh, commuting and personal mobility and leisure travel are all down and that's affecting employment in services. Uh, goods uh, sales have been very, very strong. If you look in the U.S. at personal consumption expenditures since the pandemic, uh, sales of goods are substantially above their pre-pandemic trend. And disposable incomes are up as there's less money being spent on services along with 
personal transfers and unemployment, people are spending money on stuff and that is getting moved and it's getting trucked. And we also have very high demand for medical equipment and all of the things, uh, the goods that the pandemic economy has created demand for, which has led to shortages. And it's why you look at PMIs across the industrialized world. They are making new highs uh, exiting uh, 2020 and into 2021 with rising prices, strong new orders books, and strong uh, manufacturing uh, 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 trends. That is continuing. And if, as is likely, in the second half of the year, we get uh, restrictions on uh, hospitality and travel and restaurants, you should see a V-shaped snapback in those areas, uh, which uh, certainly on the personal mobility, but also you know, in, in, in aggregate, it has the potential uh, to bring some upside uh, 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 strength. I, and I, I will just add, if, as seems likely, we are now poised for an even stronger further dose of stimulus out of the U.S., first an additional COVID package that is likely to uh, to be proposed very early in Biden's presidency, followed by a much bigger public investment in spending uh, in infrastructure package later in the year, you know, this would add even stronger fiscal impetus in the world's largest economy, uh, uh, where you already have at least manufacturing and housing very strong in the U.S. I think also what's super interesting here about all of these trends that that Daniel is is, is highlighting, and you know, it, th- this is coming through very clearly in all of the business surveys that we read about, um, you know, labor shortages. I mean, some of that, of course, is directly related to the mobility issues, you know, labor is not as fungible as it was because of the pandemic. But um, these are trends that existed before COVID um, and that the Fed had been, you know, cognizant of and and focused on. But all of those um, trends are coming through loud and clear in in all of the different um, surveys that, that we pay attention to. And, you know, backlogs are through the roof. Delivery times are rising um, at, at, at a very strong pace, you know, which generally is associated with major shocks. Um, and, and I think most importantly, prices are increasing up and down supply chains, more or less across the board. So what's interesting, though, is that the Fed continues to look past these um, in, in, in terms of its, um, you know, looking at the market. They've, they've clearly indicated that they're going to let the economy run hot. Um, before they begin to focus on these things. But Daniel, I wonder if uh, how how much longer can they continue to do that? Are we going to start to see um, a Fed, which is a little starting to get a little bit concerned about an economy that might end up running hot six months, 12 months down the line? I think this is a key question, but for later in the year. Right now, um, the Fed is still in very maximum dovish mode. Uh, that was reiterated in the minutes of their December meeting that were just released uh, this week. Um, and it's very clear that there is a strong consensus within the FOMC to continue with this very substantial pace of asset purchases throughout most of this year, or at least until you start to see even more significant increases in inflation and progress towards their employment goals. That said, there are a few members, uh, not at the center of the committee, but on the committee, who are 
uh, even now at the start of the year saying we might have some upside risks later in the year. And that's something we should be aware of in case we need to start talking about beginning to taper those asset purchases. Um, markets will be very sensitive to a potential shift coming from the Fed. When you do see a more serious conversation about tapering, I think it can uh, be very influential on the dollar, which has continued to weaken, but the market is very short and so susceptible to a squeeze higher. And if we were to see uh, a counter trend move higher in the dollar, it could take uh, a lot of the steam that is currently fueling uh, the commodities complex, metals and energy and the like. So those factors are going to be quite relevant. I don't think it's the next month or two, but I think moving into the spring and with vaccine deployment, it absolutely is uh, going to be a very relevant factor for uh, for the market. So if I just pivot slightly away from kind of US, Europe to Asia, because in some ways, right, Asia has been the one that's led this recovery for, for all of us because they contain the virus better. Um, do we think this year is potentially a year where the West outperforms the East or do we still think it's really the East? I mean, especially China. Yes, there are concerns a little bit now with, uh, you know, certain lockdowns around Beijing. But in general, what is that macro outlook? And, you know, and, and do we see that again, just like in the West, do we see potentially those economies heating up too much? Uh, it's a very interesting question about whether could the West outperform the East. I mean, it's it, Chinese, just on a GDP basis, obviously, China's continued to show a lot of strength. And we may see, uh, you know, a, a Q1 print with a uh, north of 6%, uh, which is quite uh, robust. And obviously, year on year comparisons are going to be lifting uh, GDP headlines. China, however, will be decelerating in its growth as we move through the year. Chinese policy is turning more neutral. So we're already seeing instead of incredibly strong uh, uh, liquidity and monetary policy, it's starting to turn more neutral. Fiscal is still supportive, but there uh, are moves to start to tighten overheated real estate markets in China, which in the latter half of the year might be slowing some of the construction story. I, a, I, I definitely do not see tightening, but I do think policy is shifting sooner in China uh, than elsewhere at a time that in the U.S. we're going to be continuing to loosen. And it's not uh, crazy to actually see uh, GDP prints out of the U.S. that might seem, at least for Q3 and Q4 of this year, China-sized. Uh, uh, that said, uh, Asia still looks very strong and uh, being led by uh, by uh, electronics and uh, technology. There's a there's a lot of strength coming through pet chems uh, and exports that are linked to medical devices and PPE and maybe a good consequence of uh, a, a lessening pandemic would be less need for all of that stuff in the West that actually could take a little bit of the heat out of some of the uh, China exports. And there are some growing concerns in Asia about currency strength against the dollar. It is not affecting exports right now, but I think if we continue to see dollar weakness, you will start to get protests from Asia about currency levels uh, if they do start to affect the export story. 
Yeah, and I think this is going to be the critical thing, right, with regards to how, you know, is this going to be a unified recovery across the board? But, but Yasir, I mean, the dollar weakness, Daniel just mentioned this, this is always you know, this is a sensitive topic, <laughs> but that's obviously helped oil, right? Clearly, in, towards the end of the year, it's, it's been uh, tailwinds for oil. I mean, where do we think this is heading? And, you know, in some ways, if particularly for OPEC, with Saudi's unilateral cuts, um, can they expect the dollar to you know lend a hand to them with regards to oil prices well ironically amrita it's actually like oil has been the laggard um in into 2020 and one one of the themes that we focused on in especially as we got into october of last year was that you know, oil was absolutely among the cheapest of the reflation assets out there because the weak dollar had spurred um, uh, strength in, in commodities. We see it very clearly in the base metals. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen the largest inflow to gold since August of uh, 2020, just in, in, in the last few weeks alone. Um, and and there have been some massive um, EM debt inflows as well. So, um but oil has lagged that because of the specific physical realities of, of the oil market, especially the hit to mobility that we've seen um, since the pandemic started. That's starting to catch up. Um, you know, the energy equities have have outperformed um, in in the fourth quarter since um, since really news of positive news on the vaccine started to hit the tape, um, which was right around the U.S. election, ironically. Um, we, we've just seen a massive outperformance in these assets. And this is just the beginning, we believe, um, in, in the sense that um, it, it, the, the flows are just beginning. Um, there's a, a lot of room still to go. Um, and for the record, the uh, last time commodities were the best performing asset class was back in 2002. Um, and so it's still early days, not saying that <laughs> it's going to outperform for the, for the balance of the year, but certainly given our views on the fundamentals going forward, given our expectations for a recovery in demand um, as, as we move into the second half of the year, given you know, what the Saudis have done uh, just in, in the last week alone in terms of um, really trying to backstop and, and put a clear floor on oil prices. Um, we, we think there's a lot to be excited about in the energy space this year. And so we'd still think energy will be the preferred asset class, just like we said it would be in Q4, right? I think especially with mobility um, should pick up really from Q2 onwards. I think the, we, we have to get past the pandemic. And, I, and when you ask the question about can the West outperform the East, I really just, I don't think that's possible until things can begin to normalize in the West to some extent the way they have in the East. I know the East is not yet normal, but it's certainly well ahead of, of, of the U.S. and Europe. And so only until then, and I think that's going to be true of, of the oil market as well, really only until we have clear visibility on vaccine deliverables. And right now we've priced in a lot of good news. All of the vaccine news for the most part has been quite positive. And so we've, we've priced in a lot of good news. And as long as that continues, then the trajectory for, for the oil market is quite clear. Um, the, the, the setbacks will, will have to be managed. And obviously, nothing ever moves in a straight line. And there are a lot of things that are going to affect levels. But um, we, we, we think the trajectory is clear.
And I do wonder whether, uh, you know, there is this kind of the the million dollar question out there, the elephant in the room about Iran, right? And again, uh, Daniel, um, with Biden or with the Democrats now in control of Congress as well, uh, there's always this thing about, oh, Iran's going to come back and, you know, that's going to cap the upside. Because again, everything else is aligning very, very clearly for being bullish oil. Um, in some ways, I mean, Yasser, you and I have talked about this, uh, Iran should just come out and that's, that's the last of the spare capacity out in the market. And then if we are right about our supply for forecast that there will be tightness, then yeah, finally people can go along the back end of the curve without fearing this. But what are the chances uh, we think that this is going to be quite quick, Daniel? I mean, or are people just again, yet again, just being too optimistic about how quickly Iran can return? I'm, I think if quick it means in the first half of 2021, then that's not going to happen. Uh, but it is uh, quite possible that in the latter half of the year, we start to see some substantial volumes returning. We're about to begin the Biden presidency at a time the signals coming from both Tehran and Washington is a wide open door towards resuming uh, a diplomatic process. Uh, Supreme Leader Khamenei just uh, overnight again reiterated a readiness to go uh, back into compliance if the United States come back comes back into compliance, and that is exactly the position of the Biden administration as well. Um, Biden has just nominated as Deputy Secretary of State uh, Wendy Sherman, who was the lead negotiator of the Iran nuclear deal. So the old band is back together. The personal players are quite familiar with each other, and the issues are known and are less complicated than when they tried to negotiate the first deal in the first place. Um, it's obvious there will not be a lifting of sanctions until Iran first comes back into compliance with its nuclear limits. And I think the Americans and the Europeans will come to a quick agreement on that point. And that would have to be presented to the Iranians. And if they are willing to accept that, then uh, the door will be open for, uh, for a first step of returning to that deal. The important thing here is the technical things Iran would need to do to bring its nuclear, uh, uh, it, it, its enriched stockpiles and the centrifuges it has deployed to bring those back into compliance will probably take between four to six months just to physically do them, uh, after which uh, sanctions could be lifted. So if on January 2022, uh, Biden and the Iranians sit down and hash out a deal, we'd be looking still at mid-year or Q3 before those restrictions are lifted. And that would be the faster scenario. Absolutely. So the final of, uh, finally, I mean, Yasser, given we are clearly optimistic about the price of oil, we've see, we see prices going to 65 by the end of the year and, you know, 80 plus next year. Um, what are the things that could derail uh, all the optimism, optimistic things that we've talked about. I mean, clearly, I mean, the obvious one being anything uh, with regards to vaccine deployment slowing down. But what else is there? I mean, and this is really for both of you, Daniel and Yasser. Um, if everything goes to plan, clearly prices should be moving higher. But what are the things that could go wrong? I think very, I mean, clearly, obviously, demand is it, all the focus on supply, whether it's Iran or OPEC or everything else. For, for, for me, demand is the most important, you know, uh, variable and 
that that's the biggest threat. Now, outside of that, um, I, I think very clearly what is attracting these inflows into the commodity space um, is very clearly dollar driven. And, you know, th- there is a, there is a link to the to the demand side as well, meaning as we come out of the pandemic, we're looking at a combination of normalization of demand. Um, there's going to be a massive inventory story as well as supply chains are, have been disrupted. Um, there's a ton of pent up and industrial uh, com- uh, consumer and industrial demand that is going to be unleashed. And, you know, so there's a benefit for the EM uh, markets. There's a benefit for the commodities markets. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm watching very closely how the dollar behaves because we're now at some pretty important support levels that you know we haven't hit since early 2018, and um, if 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 we are to lurch lower, obviously we'll 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 see a continuation of that story. But um, th- those are the big ones for me in in uh, for this year. I, I think clearly the biggest risk is uh, uh, something happens on vaccine deployment or there is a virus mutation that renders these vaccines less effective and and so forth. So that's that's a clear uh, risk. I think if we're imagining of a potential set of risks also, it could be if we are truly heading into a more inflationary environment sooner, and if that's part of what the commodity price rise is signaling along with inflation break-evens, uh, obviously it's been many, many years since there has been any real inflation threat. And there's many structural uh, things happening with productivity and technology that are keeping uh, inflation down. But if, in fact, this is a year that inflation does begin to return in a more sustainable way, then this will start to turn a, a global tightening cycle uh, for, for pulling back the liquidity taps that are wide open and that is the kind of thing that gives financial markets and assets a lot of indigestion uh, very quickly. I certainly uh, don't think that this is a high risk that we're looking at runaway inflation. But if we're thinking about second half 21 and this global policy cycle and then moving to discount what the activity cycle looks like into 22, that would, that would be uh, a risk. Absolutely. Thank you so much, both of you. This has been uh, really interesting. And I think we have a lot to look forward to this year, um, especially given our call that, you know, oil will really, it is a bull market for oil, particularly from Q2 onwards. So thank you once again and happy new year to everyone. <music>